This morning, Pete and I have the privilege of beginning a new three-week series on marriage and families. Barry and Anne Cutchie and Danny and Dominique Holmes will also be involved over the next couple of weeks as we look at what it means to live family lives that honour God and promote his purpose in communities. Families come in all shapes and sizes. We're fortunate to be here in a place that welcomes people from all walks of life young and old, single, married, single again. No matter what your situation is, the things that we talk about this morning are relevant for all of us. And it's relevant for all of us because God loves us. And he wants us to reflect his love through our family lives. In fact, as we get into this series, we'll see clearly that one of the key ways that God shows his love to his people is directly through the way we live in families. He wants our families to reflect his love to this world. Before turning to this passage this morning, it seems only right that I introduce our family. Pete and I married in 1995. Luke joined us 15 years ago, Chelsea 13 years ago, and Ben 11 years ago. Uh, Next week, uh, if you ask him, he'll tell you all about his upcoming birthday. Together, we make up a group of people who love and care for each other and who fail and argue and fight at times like most families. We are far from perfect and this morning will not be a talk on how to follow our perfect example. On the contrary, we will look to one way that we've tried to apply God's word as an overall purpose for our marriage and our family life. The rest we tend to make up as we go along, sometimes succeeding and sometimes failing. One helpful idea to keep in mind this morning is that in God's word, he paints the picture of the ideal, how things are designed to be, his perfect design, and his highest wishes for us. And he also addresses the real, the fact that we sin and fall short of his standards. And the beautiful thing about God is that in his restorative work in our lives, he understands the real, and continually points us to the ideal. If our family is anything like yours, there's plenty of the real and occasional glimpses of the ideal. We argue, we get grumpy with each other. We, well, I, struggle to apologise. And I have been known to show my selfish side, I'm hoping all my children are out of the room, by hiding chocolate in a secret spot in the pantry so I don't have to share it. I have times when I think I'm glad no one saw that family moment. One topic this morning that ties in with our mission as a church, to know Christ and to make him known. We are focusing on what it means to be a missional family. The key question we're hoping to address today is this, how does a family make its collective purpose to know Christ better and to make him known? Does being a missional family mean committing to long-term overseas mission or maybe regular short-term mission? Perhaps it relates to nurturing and raising our children to know and love God so that they are equipped to tell others of God's love as they grow in their relationship with him. Does being a missional family mean making sure that we open our home to others to show kindness and compassion to fight social injustices? 
Or maybe being a missional family means being a witness of Christ's love for us in how we treat each other as a family. It can mean all these things and more. If you were asked what it means to be a missional family, how might you define it? This morning we're going to focus on what Paul has to say in chapters 4 to 6 of Ephesians and get specific about one verse in particular. In Ephesians chapter 4 to 6, we're given instructions on unity in the body of Christ, how to live lives as children of light, and how to treat others in our relationships. Some of these instructions include being completely humble, gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up, putting off falsehood and speaking truthfully, to not sin in our anger, to not let unwholesome talk out of our mouths but only what's helpful for building others up. No hint of sexual immorality, impurity or greed. Live as wise, not as unwise. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters just as you would obey Christ. Masters, treat your slaves the same way. God is master of all and shows no favouritism. Pete and I could focus on many aspects of these chapters today in considering what being a missional family means. However, that would take a very long time. So we want to focus on one particular area today. There's a part in this passage where God points us to more than just how we should live in our families. He points directly at why we should live in particular ways in our families. So let's read together Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we're all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is a well-known passage for many of us, and one that is not only instructive about how a Christian marriage should function, 
but also provides clear reasons for why it should function that way. One thing we clearly see in this passage is that Paul uses marriage as an illustration of the relationship between Christ and the church. Look at this passage, noting the highlighted points, and see how much of it is pointing to the way that Jesus loves and leads the church. How he loves and leads us, me, you, each other. We all submit to one another. Why? Because we revere Christ. I submit to Pete as head of me because I trust that our marriage needs to reflect the way that Christ is the head of the church. And as the church, we submit to Christ. Pete loves me in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, wanting what's best for me. He understands that we are both part of the body of Christ and that dishonouring me would in fact dishonour all of us. We want to explore one clear conclusion from this passage that shows how our marriages and family life are designed to be missional, designed by God to be missional. Verse 32 is significant for us. It's a challenging statement to get, a, get your head around. Paul says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. In this verse, we see that our marriage and family life is a primary witness of Christ's love to those around us, and particularly to those who don't follow Jesus. In God's ideal order and in his design, he created marriage and families to be an earthly representation of the intimacy and loving environment he desires between Christ and the church. People should see the outworking of his love in our marriages in such a way that people are drawn to an understanding or at least a curiosity about the love that is exhibited and its origin. 25 years ago, Pete and I met bushwalking. A mutual friend invited uh, me and some others along to a walk that Pete had organised. We were studying at different universities at the time and we dated for two years and got married our first year out of uni. Throughout our marriage, we've served together. We've led Bible study groups, youth groups, after-school programs and other ministries. We've done our best to raise our kids to know and love Jesus. We've each undertaken further study and changed careers. We've lived interstate and travelled overseas. We've taken seriously the call to give, to serve and to raise our children to know Christ. However, in all this missional activity and despite being connected to many people who don't yet know Jesus, we could be a poor witness of Christ's love if Pete and I treat each other with disrespect, unkindness and selfishness. Now, of course, we don't always live up to the real that we spoke about earlier. And people have witnessed uh, the ideal and plenty of people have witnessed the real in our marriage and our family. But we hope and trust that overall, the way we love one another and treat one another points people towards Jesus. I want to tell you a story uh, that occurred in 1994, mid-August. So you can probably guess where Pete and I were, skiing. And uh, we had been up at Falls Creek and I had managed, which I did a number of times, to somehow slip along to a Melbourne University outdoor education ski trip and it wasn't actually the university that I was attending but um, the lecturer kindly let me tag along with Pete's ski group and uh, get some fantastic ski experience. 
Uh, we were all very poor students and we were all in the university vehicles and the minibus was full of gear and the trip carrier had to be driven down the mountain. So one of Pete's good friends from the course, a guy called Adam, and Pete and I all jumped in the front seat of the trip carrier, which was loaded with gear in the back. And um, we'd been good mates with Adam for a while and he knew very much um, that we were people of faith. He knew that we loved Jesus. As we were heading down the mountain, the radio was on, Pete was getting the footy scores and then it went to crackle. We lost reception, so we turned the radio off. We had a lengthy discussion on the way down in the car about Jesus. Adam uh, loved this expression. that I, I do like the little baby Jesus, he said, but I'm just not really sure about it all. Adam had lived in a drug house in Perth for a few years after high school where he'd spent a lot of time surfing and getting up to mischief. He got out and moved back to Melbourne just before the police busted the place. He was putting his life back together through education and he had a fantastic sense of humour. Adam is the one there uh, on the other side of the raft from Pete. If you think um, Captain Snooze, Rod Quantock, you get an idea of what Adam looks like, still looks like. As we got down to the bottom of the hill after talking for an hour about matters of life and faith, uh, we pulled into the caravan park where we were all staying, staying and I had, was finishing up with, I just, I just need a sign. I need a sign from little baby Jesus and then maybe I'll believe if I get a sign from Jesus. We pulled up the car and just before we turned it off, Pete flicked the radio back on to see if he could get an update on the footy. And this is what we heard. Hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah because the program had changed on the ABC. And they had said, it's a sign, it's a sign from little baby Jesus. <laughs> and he laughed his head off and said, oh, I'll probably need another sign before I really <laughs> believe. To the best of our knowledge, um, Adam still hasn't come to faith. We still occasionally see he and his wife. But we hope uh, that we can continue to show to him through our, our marriage and our family life, that we love Jesus and that Jesus loves him. For many of our unbelieving family and friends, the closest they may get to seeing Jesus is observing our marriage and family life. This is true of people like Adam and many others. This is a heavy responsibility. We know we're far from perfect. We know we live lives that are far from ideal. And people don't need to be around us for too long to see the real and we're thankful that God uses us even in the messy times. But it also offers us tremendous freedom and hope. And as much as we understand that living out the life that Jesus wants for us, walking in his steps, loving and serving each other, this may somehow have an impact on the lives of the people we share life with. And it has certainly opened the doors for many conversations about faith. Pete and I have always connected with a faith community and also connected with a wide variety of friendship groups, both Christian and non-Christian. In all of these areas of service and life, our close friends and family see the way we treat each other, speak to one another and encourage one another. How Pete and I love, serve, respect and submit to one another bears direct witness to Christ's love for the church. Our ideal is that the people we share life with will come to know Jesus and we hope that our marriage and family life will help point that way. 
We've also discovered that our marriage is strengthened and our faith deepened in the times where we share together and where we see people coming closer to Jesus as a result. Pete's going to come now and speak a little bit about how this applies to our family life. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, my name's Pete, and I'm the slightly flawed version of the one that Mandy just was speaking about. At the age of 21, I had no idea what God would do uh, in my life. I was busy trying to cram four years of university into five and having a good time doing it. And as you've heard, I met Mandy bushwalking. My best mate brought her along. And um, a few weeks later, my, the entire trajectory of my life changed. And um, I am deeply and profoundly grateful to God for a godly and a loving and a kind-hearted and intelligent and a capable and a caring and a giving friend that he gave me in Mandy. And her words and her actions are a constant encouragement to me in my walk with Jesus. As Mandy and I try and live out Ephesians 5.32, this profound mystery that Christ talks about, as that Paul talks about, sorry, about Christ and the church. And as we see our marriage and family life as the first point of call for many of our friends and family, we try to live honest, open and authentic lives in front of them in the hope that they would see Jesus. This morning, I get the easy bit. I just want to talk to you about a few stories that point to the real and hopefully some ideal aspects of what this passage means for us in our family lives. Here's three things that emerged from a conversation with a good friend of mine during the week when we were talking about this topic. Hopefully, this will make what we're talking about uh, fairly simple, fairly applicable and equally practical. Firstly, if we're going to be missional, we actually have to love Jesus. And we have to have a relationship with him because there's really no point in inviting someone to, into a relationship that we ourselves don't have. Secondly, we need to be watchful and prayerful. In John 15, Jesus said, My Father is always at work, and so am I. So God's at work, and we need to ask, Lord, what are you doing? Whose lives are you working in? And what role do you want me to play? And thirdly, we just need, when we find those opportunities and we're prompted, to serve and respond. I want to tell you about a couple of widows. Joan is on the left and Jean is on the right. Both ladies lost their husbands through difficult circumstances and long battles with cancer. Both enjoyed long, happy marriages and both would dearly love their husbands to still be with them. Life was extremely challenging during the cancer battles and it hasn't been easy living and adjusting as widows. Last Tuesday night and the Tuesday night before that and the Tuesday night before that, in fact, every Tuesday night during winter, these two widows and some of their friends from their particular church, cook meals for the homeless people that live in their area. They provide them with beds, 
they play board games with them, they discuss life matters with them and they tend to befriend these people. And in the area where they live, there are seven churches and the seven churches have got together and they do one night a week each. So you have this travelling group of homeless people escaping the colds of a Victorian winter. The churches help these men and women, homeless men and women, with their transport and other needs. In fact, this year a number of churches deliberately built showers, shower facilities at their church so these people could clean up a few nights each week. Last winter, Jean and Joan met a man who'd just been released from prison and was finding it hard to find his feet. And last summer, they went to a neighbouring church to witness this man's baptism. Their kindness, service and love for the homeless people in their area saw the eternal destiny of a man that Jesus loves changed forever. Jeannie's my mum and she's an inspiration to me. And she has every right to sit around and feel lonely and sad. She lost her husband and best friend three months short of their 50th wedding anniversary. It's been almost six years since then. Mum is positive, active, and she's still serving God with the gifts that she's been given. Mum loves Jesus. She has an active relationship with him. She watches and prays, and she serves and she responds. She'll tell you it's not much, but try telling that to the chorus of angels rejoicing at that man's salvation. You see, Jesus was at work in his life. Mandy has a group of high school friends. She's no longer at high school. You might have picked that up. But they've been extremely close friends for 30 years. It's quite a remarkable phenomenon to see this group in action. The men who've married in and one female partner who's joined one of the others have formed part of this group. And over the years we've shared lots of time and lots of life together. And we've had many opportunities to talk through the deep things of life. We've been able to share our faith in meaningful ways. We've walked through weddings and divorces. We've prayed with one of the unbelieving couples that they might, um, that they might father or that they might have a child. Uh, after a long period of being unable to do so. We've shared the journey of the loss of parents and siblings and cousins. We've watched blended families form and we've been introduced to new partners. We've walked through financial challenges and cancer diagnoses. We've seen the very real and on occasion in God's strength we've been able to demonstrate the ideal This group of people know us warts and all and we've been humbled to be used by God to be salt and light in these relationships. I'm sure we haven't always got it right but we seek to journey with these people and to pray and to encourage and to serve them in practical ways and to live authentic lives in front of them. But most importantly, we seek to love them deeply. We pray for them regularly and we're trusting that they will respond to Jesus and we believe that God is at work in their lives. On a recent camping holiday back at Easter, 
we had a pleasant time sitting around a campfire one afternoon when a lady, her son, her mother and her niece arrived at the campsite. As they were getting organised, Mandy noticed a note of disorganisation and wandered over to give them a hand. And the camper that they'd towed in, they were putting up for the first time. We had one that was similar to it a few years ago, so Mandy set about giving them a hand. And before long, I was dragged in. And after a few laughs and a bit of carry-on, we rearranged some ropes and some poles and they were all set up. Over the next few days, we spent quite a bit of time chatting to this family and learning about them. And at one point, the mother said to me, are you a churchy? She'd asked it for a reason. I don't know why, but she'd obviously seen something. We certainly hadn't brought it up. I've learnt over time that if people ask a question like that, they've usually had a connection and they've usually had a reason to leave. So I explained that I might not be exactly what she thought if I said yes. And then we went on to have a series of terrific discussions about Jesus over the next couple of days. And I I tried as much as I could to explain the difference between following him and what she might have experienced at the hands of traditional religion. And I had a terrific discussion with her Catholic mother around the same thing. The night before we packed up to leave, Mandy and I said goodnight as some of the young people were sitting around the fire. And in the morning, we asked the typical questions, like, what time did you come to bed? And it was late. We asked the follow-up question, what were you talking about? And Luke said, this lady's niece wanted to hear about this faith. So we chatted to her about it. And it was so terrific to know that the interest had dropped down another generation. Don't look at me like that, Danny. It may not be a surprise to you that Mandy and that mother are still in contact. We do our best to love Jesus and to walk in step with him, to watch and to pray and to serve and to respond. And you know, it's a terrific blessing to meet wonderful people and to have an opportunity to share our lives with them. And we believe that God's at work in their lives. About once a month, I meet with a friend of mine over a cheap egg and bacon roll and a coffee. And we talk about our marriages and we talk about our kids and we talk about our work and we talk about our church. On one occasion, before breakfast, we had a chance meeting with a lady whose adult daughter knew this mate of mine. They got talking and she explained that her daughter was going through a particularly rough time and the mother was clearly stressed. And this friend of mine just politely asked, after he explained his care for this lady, who he knew, if he could pray for her. This lady didn't know Jesus. She agreed and he prayed for her. In the following weeks, this mate of mine had a series of, um, you might say, chance encounters with this lady. It turned out that she had a a pressing practical need. As a grandmother, 
She was not able to um, take care of it herself. So this friend of mine organised a group of mates from his church to go around and help her out. And as they helped out, there's a conversation struck up and the stories of her feeling judged in the past by the church emerged and this friend of mine gently explained to her that that shouldn't be the case, that we're all in need, that we're all on a level playing field and he apologised on behalf of anyone who may have treated her poorly. We're praying for this lady and her daughter and her grandkids that she'll come to know Jesus. We believe that God is working in their lives. This mate of mine loves Jesus. He watches and he prays and he's been ready to respond and serve. And he takes his kids along to show his kids the practical application of his faith. Last one. Mandy has a long-term friend and she's battled more things in life than most of us can imagine. She had a difficult childhood but did well at school. She was athletic and creative. She had a very successful business and she won nationally recognised awards in her field. And she suffers from mental illnesses. She's been married and her former husband is now gay and has taken her only child away with him. She's been in and out of mental institutions and been largely ignored by her family. Her business is a shadow of what it had been and she's gone weeks on end eating only the most basic food because there's no money. She's had a series of uh, disappointing relationships and been the subject of much hurt. She's touched the void. About a decade ago, Mandy took a book from her. It was a book on suicide and how to achieve it. For 30 years, she's been a friend of Mandy's and Mandy's been a very loving kind, generous friend to her in return. In the past couple of years, this friend of hers met and gave her life to Jesus. She's unconventional. But she's loved by Jesus and her eternity is secure in him. She doesn't fit the stereotype that we sometimes picture for missional families. But this friend is a witness to the people that she knows and her story should encourage all of us that God can use us no matter what our circumstances. All we need to do is love him and be in relationship with him. We need to watch and pray and we need to be ready to serve and respond. I don't think we can speak on this topic this morning without reminding ourselves of two key scriptures. There's a time recorded in Matthew's Gospel of Jesus going from town to town and teaching. And at one point, there's a statement that he made to his disciples that's recorded for us. Many of us know know it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, he said to his disciples. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out his workers into the field. And years later, One of his disciples who was there at that exact moment would write these words. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason to give, uh, sorry, to give you the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. These statements apply equally to all of us, regardless 
the type of family we live in. I'd like to just revisit our key verse for the last time. Paul said when he spoke of marriage, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. We have an extraordinary God who has shown us his love in unimaginable ways and who's transformed our lives and our hearts. Let's make our marriages and our families our primary witness of the transforming love of Christ to, an un- to our unbelieving friends, family, work colleagues and community connections. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, when we think about how you transform lives, how you take the real and you show us the ideal, you showed us that through your life, through your words, through your sacrifice, and through the power of your resurrection, and through your spirit confirming that in our lives and in the guarantee that you have given us of our eternity. For many people that we know, it may only be our marriage, or it may only be our family life that they see. And when they do, we ask that they would see you, Jesus. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to walk in step with you, to love you, Help us, please, to watch and to pray. And help us to be ready to serve and respond when we see the opportunity. And give us the great joy, Lord Jesus, of seeing more and more of our friends and our families who don't know you coming to know you. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.